We all love to get out on the open road, see the country, feel the wind in our hair. But if you have the same car you've been driving for years, you might not feel so great after a car breakdown, unless you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield is America's most trusted vehicle protection company, and for almost 20 years, they've helped Americans protect their out-of-warranty vehicles. From car and trucks to SUVs, a plan through CarShield can protect up to 5,000 parts and systems and save you big dollars on your engine, transmission, entertainment system, and more. It's as easy as going to carshield.com Shapiro. With plans that include unlimited miles, road trips have never been easier. Plus, you get exclusive access to CarShield's concierge service, as well as 24-7 roadside assistance and help with flat or damaged tires, lockouts, and rental car options. Call CarShield to speak with an expert here in the U.S. that can answer all your questions and get you a free quote in minutes. Don't wait another minute. Visit CarShield now before a breakdown happens and you get stuck with an expensive repair bill. Save 20% and get your free quote by going to carshield.com Shapiro now. That's carshield.com Shapiro to save 20% today. Today on the Matt Wall Show, Ron DeSantis is out of the Republican primary, which means the primary is effectively over. It's time for conservatives to unite to fight the real enemy. And we got to look at how evil that enemy is over the weekend when Joy Reid on MSNBC passionately defended putting books with graphic, horrific sexual content in schools. Also, a reporter asks Dana White what kind of leash he puts on his fighters to stop them from saying transphobic things, quote unquote. The conversation does not go well for the reporter. And Nikki Haley claims that she was persecuted daily as a child for her brown skin, which raises a few questions such as, what brown skin? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. This episode is brought to you by Preborn. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Donate now at preborn.com slash Matt. When Governor Ron DeSantis abruptly canceled his media appearances over the weekend, it led to a lot of speculation that he'd be ending his presidential campaign. And sure enough, on Sunday, that's exactly what happened. Facing the prospect of a distant third place finish in the New Hampshire primary, DeSantis bowed out and endorsed Donald Trump. Now, on one hand, the disappointment from DeSantis' supporters, of which I, I uh, was one and am one, is understandable. He's a fantastic governor who's more effective at advancing conservative policies than any other politician alive today. There's just no doubting that. The track record is clear. At the same time, there's also no question that it's a good thing that the primary effectively ended this weekend, as opposed to an even more protracted war of infighting among conservatives that leads always to the inevitable conclusion anyway. Uh, with millions more dollars wasted on pointless attack ads and everything else. We're not going to do that. Donald Trump will be the party's nominee. And that's going to be the case no matter how often Nikki Haley, who's still in the race, reminds us that she's a woman of color and and that she's a, and also a person of color and a woman. And she was bullied for being brown on the mean streets of Orangeburg, South Carolina. But more on that later. Uh, this thing is over. And that means that the right can unite against its real enemies. And the real enemies are the powerful forces in our society who hate this country, who despise its people, and who seek to destroy our families and corrupt our children. And one of the clearest examples of this effort is the sheer scale and dishonesty of the left's fraudulent war against what they call book bans. As City Journal has noted, politicians at every level of government, from Governor Chris Sununu in New Hampshire to former Representative Liz Cheney in Wyoming, uh, they, they all have claimed that schools are, are censoring 
classic reading materials, particularly in school libraries, at the behest of the Republican Party. Joe Biden has even appointed a book ban coordinator to pursue civil rights cases against libraries that offend the LGBTQ cult with their censorship, their alleged censorship. Biden also launched in his uh, you know, launched his reelection bid eight months ago with a vid- video falsely implying that Florida had banned the book To Kill a Mockingbird, which simply was not true. Of course it wasn't true, as even the Associated Press later had to admit. The truth is that this campaign against book bans is nothing more than a crusade to put pornography in schools. Um, that's been clear for a while now. We've all seen the footage of parents repeatedly getting thrown out of school board meetings just for reading passages from the pornographic books in their children's school libraries. So these are books that are in the school libraries that you can't even read out loud at a school board meeting because they're too graphic. Dozens of those videos are out there at this point. Um, and this is about exposing children to smut. And, and you know everyone can clearly see that. Anybody with, with a brain and who's honest can see that. What's changed is that now with the election rapidly approaching, the forces pushing this degeneracy are emboldened. They're dropping the pretense that they're worried about discrimination or teaching history or whatever. They are at this point all but coming right out and saying that they want to expose children to pornographic materials. And they're doing it with the express support of the largest media conglomerates on the planet. Now, if you doubt that, I want you to watch this remarkable footage from MSNBC the other day. This is from Joy Reid's show. And uh, speaking of remarkable, it remains one of the great marvels of the world that Joy Reid despite being viscerally unpleasant to listen to or look at, and despite having nothing important to say and having never offered an even mildly interesting insight into any topic ever in her entire life, still has a show that, for yet another week, has not been canceled. Then again, this is MSNBC. I mean, they they specialize in giving extraordinarily annoying and unappealing and stupid people TV shows. Al Sharpton still has a show on that network, after all, last I checked, although I've never really checked, to be honest. Anyway, back to Joy Reid. So she was interviewing the co-founder of the group Moms for Liberty, which is, uh, and the, the group uh, is co-founded by a woman named Tiffany Justice. Now, before I show you the clip, here's the backstory. Um, what's bothering MSNBC is that Moms for Liberty does not want a book called All Boys Aren't Blue, a memoir manifesto written by LGBTQ activist George Johnson to be available for children to check out from school libraries. Uh, This is a book that includes descriptions of anal rape and incest, which are too graphic for me to read on the air. And this is the disadvantage that we find ourselves in when it comes to this issue, uh, which is that you really need to hear specifically what's in these books to fully appreciate just how deranged these people are for wanting to put these books in schools. But the material is so objectionable and disgusting and embarrassing that I simply will not read it out loud. So you know, I mean, you can look it up for yourself and see, but suffice it to say that the book contains very, very detailed accounts of rape, sodomy, uh, and and other things that uh, you really don't want your kids reading about. And there are, look, there are hundreds of thousands of books in circulation that do not have any of that sort of content. Okay, so that there's just no reason why this book, especially of all books, needs to be in a school library. As I've tried to explain in the past, almost every book that's ever been written will not be in any school library or in any school at all. You know, like, because there's so many books. So no matter what, you're choosing a very small, like, thimble-sized portion of all the books that have ever been written to be in your school. All the other books are not going to be there. And 
So when, when you decide that oh, well, this book in particular needs to be in the school, when you've got all these other books available, it really raises a lot of questions about your motives. I shouldn't really say they're not really questions. I mean, we know what your motives are. So this is a book that, according to local reports, is available in the young adult nonfiction section of two libraries in Huntsville, Alabama. These sections are for children between the ages of 12 and 18, which is roughly in line with the publisher's age recommendation for this book. And according to Moms for Liberty, there are records of a child as young as nine checking out All Boys Aren't Blue from the library. What's incredible is that in this interview, Joy Reid does not dispute anything about the content of the book or how obscene it is. Uh, she, doesn't, she doesn't concede that maybe nine-year-old children shouldn't be reading this. Instead, she goes out of her way to defend the book. Joy Reid begins by complaining that parents are going online and sharing passages from the book that she says are somehow taken out of context. And then she makes a very familiar argument from there. Watch. The question I'm asking is, what is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award-winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue isn't oh. appropriate for students to read? What, what is your expertise? What a tragic story of a young man who's anally raped by his adult family member. So you have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer, so sure. I'm going to answer Please for you. Please do. Um, in what context is a strap-on dildo acceptable for public school? Just let, I mean, that's my question mm -hmm. to you. Tell me what the context around the strap-on dildo or the rape of a minor child by a teacher. Hold on a second. No, no, no. no, no. no wait, We're talking on. about no, public no, no. school. One, one moment. All right. So now you've asked me questions. Sure. Well, I'm going to answer it. Okay. Well, who is the main character? What's the name of the main character in All Boys Are Blue? You're asking me right now. You just gave me very specific information about this book, so you're presenting yourself as somebody expert. It's the gentleman. To, um, hold on. The main, to, who's the main character in the, the book? The main character is the author. Who's the, what's his name? George, I believe, is his first because name. Because you're giving me very specific information that is presenting yourself as an expert. You're asking me to remember the name of an author. The you name just of remembered the author very specific name. Joy. Here's my We're question. We're talking about Here's my question. You didn't answer my no, question. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to answer Great. your question. I would love to hear that. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm interviewing you, and you're not interviewing me, so let's just make sure it's a conversation, okay? Okay, great. So, what I'm saying to you is that as you are not an expert in this book, I don't or, have to hold be an expert. No, 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 hold on a second. Aren't one moment. For one moment. School. I mean, this come on, let's book. get real. Yeah, and she never really gets around to an answer, by the way, because of course there is no way to answer that. Like, what's the context for anal rape or strap-on dildo, as was asked, that uh, that would make it acceptable for a child? What what context makes that so that okay? You freak, you disgusting freak. Like, that we even have to ask you that question? It, it's, it's like, I, I, I applaud uh, Tiffany Justice for being able, to, uh, being able to contain her disgust to the level that she does. Um, I find very impressive. I would not be able to, to do that. Because you, Joy Reid, are just a, a, an awful, awful person. And, and it's just evil. Like, evil to your freaking core that you want to expose this to kids. But all she has as well, she says, you're not an expert, unlike, unlike whoever gave this pornographic book an award. They're the experts, so therefore shut up. You don't have to, you don't get to have an opinion. That's what she's saying. Now, you may have noticed that it's become, a, a, of course, a common rhetorical tactic on the left, whether they're talking about climate change or transgenderism or book bans or pretty much anything. In the absence of any guiding moral principles, they've now, they're now fully reliant on the expert class to the point that they can't think for themselves anymore about anything. And they don't want you to think for yourself either. It's just a reflex now. What do the experts say? Like the experts about what? We're at the point where 
They don't want you to object to pornography in the children's section without first getting an expert's approval. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Joy Reid is claiming that you cannot object to children being exposed to books about anal rape unless you are an expert, which raises the question, Joy, expert in what? Like, what the hell kind of expert do you need to be to understand the simple common sense fact that 12-year-olds don't need to be reading graphic sexual content? I mean, how long until they tell you you're not allowed to object to full-on child pornography or pedophilia unless you are an expert? Based on their logic at this rate, it probably won't be long. In fact, that's basically where we are right now. Of course, in that clip, Joy uh, takes this approach to a new level of absurdity when she demands that Tiffany Justice name the author of the book, All Boys Aren't Blue. And I mean, it's the dumbest gotcha I've ever seen. And I guess because Justice couldn't provide the guy's full name quickly enough, we're supposed to conclude that she's not an expert in the book. You don't need to be an expert in this. And, and, and therefore, she's, she's excluded from having an opinion on the topic. Because, you know, you can't object to children being exposed to sexual content unless you can give the full name of the person who created the sexual content. Makes total sense if you have brain damage. And speaking of brain damage, what follows from Joy Reid next, as you probably would have guessed, is the usual disingenuous parental rights argument. Uh, the idea is that parents should be able to expose their children to whatever they want, and reasonable people shouldn't be allowed to step in and prevent that. And uh, these people don't give a damn about parental rights in any context, except when it's parents who want to expose their kids to sexual content or parents who want to mutilate and, uh, and, uh, and castrate their kids. So those are the only times that these demons uh, care about, about parental rights. Let's watch. Why is it your right or a Moms for Liberty activist's right to say that a parent who wants their child to have access to this book, which gives a personal experience of this author, that they, that why doesn't a liberal parent, for instance, or a parent of an LGBTQ kid, why don't they have a right for their child to just have access to this book? Why is it your right to say they can't? So, again, we're talking about incest, rape, and pedophilia. And well, each parent, no, 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 no. Each parent has to decide what is appropriate for their child to read. So I want you to answer. I'm going to ask you one more time. What is your right to tell a parent who wants their child, who might feel seen by this story? Why don't they have the right? Why don't they have the right as a parent to say my child can have access to this book? If a child feels seen by this story, that means that they have been uh, the victim of a predator. That means that they have either been raped by a family member, they, they, they've they experienced um And your proof of that is what? You just said that What's if a child feels seen by this story. So to recap, the conversation began with Joy suggesting that the context of the book makes it acceptable somehow, but she never explained what context would justify showing a child a graphic description of anal rape and incest. So now she circles back to original point. In a roundabout way, she implies that some children could benefit from reading the story because they'd feel seen and represented in the pages. And if parents want to encourage that, then we're supposed to go along with it. Now, she, she actually says all that. You heard it yourself. And again, just to be clear, this is not a book that encourages kids to take up sports or solve mysteries or learn about spaceflight or something. This book is exposing children as young as nine years old to graphic scenes of anal rape. And according to the corporate press, children should read books like this and, uh, and you know, see themselves in the books. As Tiffany Justice pointed out, the implications of that are pretty dark, to say the least. This gets to the heart of what this whole debate is about, which is the left's attempt to legitimize deviant sexual contact with children. I mean, it's not hard to conclude that the reason they want to show children these books about graphic underage sex is that they see no problem with children engaging in this kind of behavior. And that could be why throughout this whole interview, 
Joy never once condemns the content of the book. She doesn't say that some children probably shouldn't read it. I mean, she wouldn't even concede that. She wouldn't concede anything. Instead, she falls back on this idea that parental rights are absolute and we should never be able to dictate what other parents can and can't do. Even though, again, she doesn't give a damn about parental rights in any other context. But notice the incoherence of this argument. Because first, Joy says that no one can have an opinion about this book unless they're an expert. And they've read it cover to cover and they can name the author's full name and give his date of birth and social security number. And a few minutes later, Joy says that every parent should have the right to show their kids this book and their decision must be respected no matter what. So this is what's called a contradiction. And people who understand basic principles of logic can spot it right away. But people like Joy and the rest of the corporate press are too concerned with ideology to bother with principles or logic or anything else. And that's why, rather than present any kind of argument for why children need to read about anal sex, Joy concludes the interview by launching into bizarre personal attacks on Moms for Liberty. Watch. Let me ask about the people who are making the decision for their parents, because you have not answered yet why a liberal parent or an African-American parent. We have parents who are Democrats who are members of our organization. But you're still trying to make decisions for all the kids. Here are some of the parents that are filing uh, or some of the the, your advocates. Mm -hmm. Bridget Ziegler, the Moms for Liberty co-founder, the wife of the recently ousted Florida Republican Party chairman, Christian Ziegler, who allegedly was involved in threesomes, same-sex threesomes. Um, Mrs. Ziegler was, a, was removed from the school board at which she was a leader. Um, you've had she wasn't Lauren, removed from the school board. Okay, you have Lauren DePaula. Um, she was making book ban requests in Alachua County, but then records show that she and her husband didn't live there. They'd sold their home in that county. Carrie Blair in Tennessee, who was um, arrested for property theft charges after allegedly stealing from Target, skip scanning in Target. Why should those three people get to make decisions about what other children should be able to read? Other ch- parents' children should be able to read. Now, I have no idea if any of those allegations are true. Um, and by the way, if you really want to play this game, Joy, do you want to go down the list of all the pedophiles and sexual abusers in the public school system? Okay, let's find all the teachers and administrators that support this kind of stuff. And you want to go, you want to find a list of all the sexual abuse inflicted by those people? Um, so, you know, I don't know if, 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 it's, if any of that's true. From what Tiffany Justice says, they seem shaky, but honestly, it doesn't matter. This is a painfully transparent attempt to distract from the issue that this whole interview was about. I mean, even if all that's true, even if Moms for Liberty is full of the worst people on the planet, okay, and that's not even like, what she, she said that one of them, one of them didn't, like, stole from Target and didn't scan. What the hell does that have to do with anything? But even if they're, even if they're, like, even if they're all serial killers and Nazis and supervillains, does that suddenly make it appropriate to supply children with reading material about anal rape? Like, is that what you're saying? So when, when, a, when a woman says, you know, I don't think that, that kids should uh, be reading uh, books about anal rape, your response is, well, yeah, but you stole from Target. S- what does that have to do with anything? It makes no sense. But this is all Joy Reid can do. She doesn't want to talk about the books or why she wants children to read them. Instead, she just wants to attack the people who are pointing out what's in these books. I mean, it's hard to put into words the depths of the evil that is on display here. This isn't just one race hustler on MSNBC talking like this. It's pretty much all of the corporate press, along with the Biden administration, all the powerful institutions who are committed to pushing this smut in schools. It's going to take an equally forceful, concerted effort to stop them from succeeding. And this month, lawmakers in Florida introduced a bill that represents a really good start. The legislation would ban teachers and government employees from displaying the so-called pride rainbow flag or associated lapel pins in public buildings and schools. 
for obvious reasons. The flag is a symbol of a radical religious cult that's specifically used to target children and indoctrinate them into an ideology that seeks at every turn to sexualize and corrupt them. And soon, if the bill passes, that symbol, which became omnipresent sometime in the past decade, will be gone. Now, it's simple and effective proposals like this that have made Florida under Ron DeSantis an attractive state for conservative families to live in. He's not campaigning for president anymore, but he's still going to be a leader in this fight, which could not be more urgent at this point. And what's needed now, especially as the primary effectively comes to a close, is for every conservative to unite, unite and join in the fight against this evil. Let's get to our five headlines. During this Sanctity of Life Month, we honor the 65 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion. Since the overturning of Roe, babies' lives are at an even greater risk. It's been reported that abortion, uh, the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of all abortions, making this tragedy available 24-7. I was just kind of like, Lord, if this is, you know, if this is the way, you know, let me know. If this is not the way, give me a sign, you know, before I walk through these doors. And I was, as I was getting ready to walk up the steps and touch the doorknob, you know, a guardian angel. And he just told me, he was like, baby, you don't have to go in there. And he was like, I know someone that can help him. Just to see the development of a baby that small, and I say baby because, I mean, he had little arms and legs, and <laughs> I mean, you know, it was actually a, a human, you know, and to see that and to have that physical and that contact once you look at that, I think it just pulls on your heart a little. Preborn needs our help for just $28, the cost of a dinner, you can sponsor an ultrasound to introduce a mother to her baby for the first time. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, baby, or donate securely at preborn.com slash Matt. That's preborn.com slash Matt. Well, as mentioned, uh, Ron DeSantis has ended his campaign. Here he is um, on Sunday making the announcement. Listen. Now, over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can, in fact, succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder, and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci, Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed-over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. Okay, so the only thing surprising about this development is that is the sort of the number of people who appear to be surprised by it. Um, I think this was entirely foreseeable and inevitable. DeSantis, um, if he had any shot to win, uh, any long shot to win the, pre the presidency or win the nomination, 
It had to begin with a convincing win in Iowa, and that didn't happen. Uh, instead, it was a convincing defeat, and so that was that. You know, time to get out. Um, DeSantis is not the kind of guy who stays in and drags it on for months, refusing to let go after that first defeat. Uh, one of the one of the things I like about his leadership style is that he's he's decisive, and he was here, and that's good. So the Republican primary is over. Nikki Haley's still in, sure, but she doesn't really count. She's not a conservative. She's not going to win. Um, you know, it's over. It's time to move move on. And you know, I mean, like I said, I'm 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 happy to move on. I, I supported DeSantis. I like DeSantis. I think he would have made a great president. Uh, but I think he would have run circles around Biden also in the general election. But um, uh, I'm, if that was not going to happen, then I'm happy the primary is over and it's not going to be this whole long protracted thing because, you know, I've just partially it is in, in my old age, maybe I've lost my my taste for conservative infighting. Um, I just don't like it. I don't like it when we're at each other's throats. It In a primary, it's inevitable. But I would much prefer to all be on the same page, united against our common enemy. And um, I'm hopeful that will happen now. Uh, I, I think it will. And I'm not sure how much value there is in going into a whole postmortem of the Sanders campaign. I mean, you've probably already heard it from a million other people. Um, I, there's no reason to harp on it for very long. I, I would just offer a few thoughts in that vein. And, and, and first, the dominant view, one thing I do want to say is that you, you've got this do, dominant view uh, is that DeSantis never should have run in the first place. It was a huge mistake for him to run. Uh, the campaign was a, a, a mistake from the start. Um, and I understand that view. It's probably true that nobody was going to beat Trump, especially once he was indicted. At that point, it was basically over, if not before that. But I also think that this was DeSantis's time. You know, it's easy for people to say, well, we'll just wait until 2028. But you know, he's the most effective, popular, and talked about governor in the country now, not in four years. He's going to be term limited out of the governor, um, out of that position, out of the governor's mansion before we get to 2028. And so right now, that was the case. Like, this was the case right now, and politics is all about timing. So you might say that this was DeSantis's time. The only problem is that Trump is still on the stage. So DeSantis's time came when Trump's time had not yet ended, and uh, and that was that was the problem. That's sort of the tragedy of it for DeSantis. But, you know, it's easy enough to say in hindsight, well, he never should have run. But and I also don't think that uh, even though uh, I don't like the infighting, uh, I'm, I'm happy there's not going to be a protracted, you know, march slog to the to the inevitable end, which I think many people were worried about. That All that is the case. But at the same time, I also don't think that we should have just had a coronation where there's not even like an attempt to, to do any kind of campaign. Uh, at all, you know. So uh, I just don't know if I can jump on board. Not that it matters now, but all the people saying it never should have run. I'm not sure that I can jump on board with that. Was the camp was the DeSantis campaign a disaster? Um, again, a lot of people seem to think so. I do think he made some significant mistakes. I've talked about some of those during the campaign. It was not a perfect campaign. But then again, I'm not sure there is a perfect campaign against Donald Trump. There's no perfect campaign in general. But there's especially not when you're running against Trump. So. You know, uh, yeah, I can point out the flaws, as many people have pointed out the flaws. Could I devise one that would actually win? And for all the people out there that are saying, oh, he did it the whole wrong way. 
what would have been the winning campaign? Did you have the secret this whole time? You you could have done it? Probably not. And um, because the, the big central question for the situation DeSantis was in was always going to be, what do you do about Trump? Do you go after him aggressively? Do you try to saddle up next to him and, and kind of play nice and be an ally? Uh, do you try to ignore him entirely, pretend he doesn't exist? Well, we've seen examples in this very primary of candidates trying all three of those approaches, and they've all lost. Of course, Christie went after Trump aggressively. Uh, Vivek positioned himself as a Trump ally. Uh, you had plenty of candidates who were basically ignoring Trump as most they could. DeSantis at first did ignore him kind of, and then went after him. Um, I, you know, that's, that's, those are really the only three options for, I mean, broadly speaking, there's only three ways you can go about it. There are different ways of approaching each of those strategies, but those are the three strategies. I don't know if there's a fourth one. And we saw people try all three and it just didn't, it didn't matter. Um, no matter what, it proved hopeless. It's like, it's like debating over the best strategy for wrestling a, gr- a gorilla. You know, it's like maybe there are strategies for wrestling a gorilla that are less bad than other strategies, but there's no good strategy. You're probably going to lose no matter what. Um, and uh, so that's the situation where they were in. And, and, you know, one other thing I wanted to say is that I've seen some commentary online, uh, some people commenting on the fact that in the video we just played of him announcing his that he was dropping out, that DeSantis oddly seemed looser and kind of happier than he has the whole campaign. And I kind of noted that too before I read anyone else saying that. And I saw all the people that picked up on that and you know, I can't read the guy's mind. It's possible that we're just uh, imagining things. But I did think the same the same thing. And um, and I think it definitely is true that DeSantis seemed on the campaign trail like he didn't want to be there, like he didn't want to campaign, um, kind of awkward and reluctant on the campaign trail. And uh, now he does seem, at least in that video, he seemed a little bit more relieved. Again, this is me psychoanalyzing him. I could be totally wrong. But if there's any truth to that, then I think it's because DeSantis from what I can pick up about him and read about him, is like, I don't think he loves being a politician. Um, I don't think he desperately wanted to be president. He obviously wanted to be president. He ran for president. But I never sensed in him this kind of like single-minded, obsessive ambition to be president, like the Hillary Clinton thing where I have to be president no matter what. Um, as if it's the only thing he's ever wanted his whole life. Uh, it always seemed to me like he ran... Because he thought, like, he was called to do it, and he had a responsibility to do it, and this was this was the, the time to do it, and, and so he did it, um, while not really relishing uh, the many of the things that come along with campaigning, and all that sounds like a criticism, and maybe from some people it would be. For me, it's not. I, that's I, I like that. Maybe it's one of the reasons I like DeSantis because I can I can relate to like I. If I was a, I would never be a politician, but campaigning, I would hate doing that. I don't want to, you know, if I, when I think about uh, uh, being in a position of political leadership, again, I have no interest. But the only appeal that I could see is like actually being in the position and trying and getting things done. Like being in a position where you can, where you can put your agenda into practice and, and do those things. So I could see um, finding some fulfillment in that. But the campaigning part of it, my God, you know, I would hate that. And I think DeSantis did, um, which, which is, it's a, it's a problem when you're a politician because you have to campaign and you have to make it look like you like you like it. But um, 
I actually think that this is one of the things that makes him a good leader. It's like, I, okay, he just cares about doing, getting, getting the stuff done. That's the only thing he cares about. He doesn't care about all the rest of the frills and the showmanship and the pageantry. And I, I think that's a good attribute for a leader, but it's a bad attribute for a campaigning politician. Um, and those two things come in conflict. You know, we've seen that time and time again. So campaign is over, he endorsed Trump, and uh, primary is over. And now it really is, it's Trump or Biden. That's, that's it. Those are the choices. Um, and it's really not a choice. It's really, there's really nothing to think about. Like Biden's presidency has been certainly the worst, most disastrous presidency of my lifetime. It's in the conversation for, I mean, among the worst, at least, uh, in American history. And we cannot have another four years of it. So there's nothing to even think about. Okay. Last week, we talked about Sean Strickland, the Uf, uh, UFC guy who smacked down that woke reporter in Canada who tried to throw some old tweets or whatever in his face. And instead, Sean Strickland stood by his past statements, doubled down on them in no uncertain terms. Uh, it was great to watch. Well, Dana White, who's the president of the UFC, of course, was next up to bat. And he was asked at a press conference a couple days ago uh, by a different reporter about those comments. And he was asked about the what sort of leash uh, he gives his fighters when it comes to their free speech. And the conversation did not go well. I mean, it didn't go well for the other guy. Went great for Dana White. Let's watch this. You obviously give a long leash to your fighters about you know, what they can say when they are up there with a UFC microphone and you are getting into territory of homophobia, transphobia. Like, is there- I don't give anybody a leash. Well, I'm saying you- A leash? I'm st- like- Free speech. When- control what people say. Going to tell people what to believe. Going to tell people. I don't f- tell any other human being what to say, what to think, and there's no leashes on any of them. What is your question? I was asking that question. I'll move on, though. Yeah, uh, probably a good idea. You just, that's ridiculous to say I give somebody a leash. Free speech, brother. People can say whatever they want, and they can believe whatever they want. <laughs> I just, I love the reporter's response. But Dana White says, I don't give anyone leashes. What's your question? Um, I was asking that question, but I'll move on. <laughs> you can't see him on the video, but you, just, you can tell his head's bowed. He's got his hands in his pockets. It's like, never mind. Uh, it was great. Fantastic response. Exactly the right approach. Uh, this is why it's so frustrating when people allow themselves to be bullied and backed into corners by these media vultures. You know, these kinds of guys, like whoever that guy was asking the question, what do you have to say about the... Uh, fighters who are venturing into the realm of transphobia. And, um, you know, you, you, you see what happens when you actually push back against these people is that they fold like a cheap suit. They totally disintegrate in the face of the slightest resistance. Um, all these guys have glass jaws. You know, they just, they, they breathe in their direction and they will fall apart. Yet so often we see people cave. We see people surrender. We see people acquiesce. Um, anyway, like play out the same scenario, but instead of the, the UFC, let's say that it's the MLB. Okay. It's the, it's major league baseball. Um, and some baseball player had dared to criticize the, uh, hallowed sacred LGBTQ community in the past. And the reporter found the tweet and, you know, asked him about it. Um, first 
we know that the player would break down in tears right there. You know, he'd, he'd have a whole stuttering, stammering speech, apologizing and saying, well, you know, I, I've grown as a person and I've realized that the LGBTQ community is amazing and beautiful and right about everything. And, and, and diversity is so important and uh, equity is, you know, and we hear all that. And, and then when the commissioner of the league is asked about it, we get the disavowal and the, the denunciation. We get the whole, yes, well, the comments made in the past were reprehensible. Major League Baseball does not condone these comments. This player will be imprisoned in sensitivity, hard labor camp until they no longer have the ability to form any opinions of their own, uh, et cetera. I mean, that's the way it usually goes. But with these guys at the UFC, it's just like, yeah, I said it. So what? Deal with it. I don't know. That's my opinion. That's what I feel. Okay. Uh, which I really appreciate. In fact, this has been a great weekend for non-wokeness in sports. And I think it's important to recognize that and celebrate it since we spend so much time, and I know that I have, complaining about the reverse. We complain about wokeness in sports. So when we see that, when we when we see when we see it done right, I think we should take some time to say, well, that's good. That's the way this should go. So we had the UFC acquitting itself quite well. Um, and then also over in the NFL. So first of all, Jim Harbaugh is the Michigan coach uh, who was once an NFL coach and will almost certainly be an NFL coach next year, uh, either for the Falcons or the Chargers and maybe another team. But he spoke at the March for Life, which is, which is really significant. I mean, and you could, if you want, you could say, oh, it's a football coach. Who cares what he says? A lot of people care what he says. This is somebody with a lot of cultural sort of purchase. And, um, and this is one of the biggest names in football at the March for Life, which is, which is, and we'll play the clip. I think we have the clip. Um, this is a, keep some in mind, the March for Life is a place that, especially at this point, a great many Republican politicians will not go there because they don't want to be tied to the pro-life movement because they're cowards. But uh, here was Coach Harbaugh at the March for Life. Welcome, Coach Harbaugh. Thank you, Jeannie. Thank you all for being here. It's a great example that you're setting. It's testimony for the sanctity of life. It's a great day for a march. It's a great day. This is football weather. Let's go. What an incredible honor to get to introduce Ben Watson, talented individual on the field, talented, courageous, fearless leader off the field. He's making a difference in the lives of so many. Um, so, you know, he had a few things to say, then he introduced Ben Watson. I mean, we could complain about this reality all we want, but but the, the reality is that a guy like Jim Harbaugh showing up at the March for Life and speaking for 45 seconds, like that will have more impact on the culture than 50 speeches that I could give at the March for Life. Um, which is why this is a, it's a great thing to see. Meanwhile, his brother, John Harbaugh, a coach of my uh, Baltimore Ravens, who are going to the conference championship, not that any of you care, uh, went, to, uh, went up to speak at the press conference after the Ravens' dominating win over the Texans uh, on, uh, on Saturday. And he began with uh, a Bible verse, which I thought was fantastic. Let's watch this. I just want to start off with this. Um, this is something that was sent to me before the game. And it just is meaningful to me, so I'm going to share it with you uh, because I think it's, uh, 
uh, the right thing to do. And it's a, it's a verse. Um, Greatness, power, glory, victory, and honor belong to you. Because everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. The kingdom belongs to you, Lord. You are the head and the ruler over everything. So there's an amazing spirit on this team. And I uh, just want to kind of give honor and glory where it's due. Um, that is also fantastic. We, we should mention that the team they beat, the Texans, is led by their great rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, who, who is a very devout, very vocal Christian who gives glory to God every time he's, uh, he's on camera. So listen, institutionally, the NFL still does some annoying woke things sometimes, and you'll still see somebody, you'll see like end racism written on a field or whatever, something stupid. But it's also true that this side of the UFC, the NFL and football generally, has by far the most conservative and religiously devout people in all of sports, which is, um, it, many of whom, again, are more conservative and, religi- conservative and, 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 and devout than what you'll find among Republican, elected Republican leaders. Like far more, actually. Um, Which is one of the reasons I don't like this movement you see by some conservatives to kind of throw sports out entirely. Uh, You know, you see some saying that all sports are woke and they're all a waste of time. But the truth is that sports are an important part of culture. There's never been a human culture that has not had some kind of organized recreational physical competition, otherwise known as sports. It's an integral part of having a culture. And uh, so if you care about the culture, you should care about things like sports, just like you should care about things like entertainment. You can't, you can't throw these things out. It's, it, that is culture right there. And sports are, I think, naturally non-woke, especially physical combat type sports. Um, now, you might have institutionally, they might try to make it woke, but it's, it's, they're working against the grain. It's no surprise that football and MMA are the least woke of all sports because uh, these kinds of sports are inherently masculine, aggressive, merit-based contests, you can't really deny reality or exist in a leftist fantasy world when you're in the octagon or you're out on the football field. It's just like, this is, you know, it's me against you. It's our team against your team. And it's, you're, you're in reality. And um, strongest guy, best guy wins. And uh, you can see that. Even though the NFL has had some very public and very disastrous episodes of wokeness, the Kaepernick stuff, of course, prime example, football is still fundamentally non-woke and, and also culturally important. Now, of course, my, my theory about physical violent sports being inherently non-woke is undermined by the NHL, which at this point is the most woke, most annoyingly, embarrassingly left-wing of all sports leagues. But then also the NHL is, is I mean, hockey is basically Canadian. So you've got the Canadianness, which is counteracting all that. A um, little bit of, a, of an outlier there. All right, finally, I don't have a lot of time for this, and we don't really need a lot of time for it, but I did want to touch on it. A Newsweek article says, Representative Dan Crenshaw, a Texas Republican, put United Airlines on blast, accusing an airport agent of grabbing his dog without consent and then accusing the agent supervisor of threatening him in a shocking conversation. Crenshaw took to social media on Saturday night to share his and his wife's experiences with United. In a video posted to X, formerly Twitter, Crenshaw explained that while his wife was on a trip to see him with their infant daughter, his mother-in-law, and their two small dogs, They were told that their pets could not fly. Even after his wife opted to try to find another flight, the agent attempted to grab one of the dogs, Joey, out of the carrier, according to Crenshaw. Um, And that's what led to the whole thing. And then Dan Crenshaw went and talked to United's vice president of airport operations, Philip Griffith, and he recorded that. Um, And he put this whole video on, uh, on, on Twitter. It's getting a big reaction. So 
here's some of uh, Crenshaw's videos as, as he's reviewing the initial incident. Let's watch. So what you're watching here is you're seeing a nice young lady and her mother traveling with two small dogs and an infant. And you're about to see a crazed, unhinged United ticketing agent reach in and grab the dog, start ripping things off of the dog's bag while my wife tries to stop them. You can see it right there. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Dan, there must have been a lot leading up to this. Maybe they were yelling at, maybe they had a good reason. Well, here's the thing, we have the whole video. I have the whole video from multiple angles. That woman in the video is actually my wife. She was trying to push away my two-month-old infant daughter away from the unhinged United agent. And as they were pushing them out, getting out of the terminal, she reached in and grabbed her property, grabbed our dog. So why would she do that? We have the whole video from multiple angles. The video is kind of boring. It's only about 10 minutes long. And really the only purpose in showing it is to show you that my wife and her mom acted very calmly. See, they're much nicer people than I am. If somebody told me my dog couldn't fly, uh, I'd be pretty upset because he's flown about 500 times throughout his life. He's not too big to fly. I know a lot of you have this kind of problem, especially with United Airlines. Okay, so the video is kind of boring, he says, and uh, he's absolutely right about that. Um, there are a lot of things I don't agree with Dan Crenshaw about, but I certainly agree with him on that point. The video is kind of boring. So this video got like 4 million views on Twitter as of last night. A lot of people seem to be outraged along with Dan Crenshaw at what uh, his wife and, and his mother-in-law experienced. Um, and, and I should say that he, he uh, so he was trying to talk to United about this, and eventually he gets a meeting with this Philip Griffith guy, and he records the meeting. And in the meeting, and then Dan Crutchell makes a big deal about the fact that in the meeting, Philip Griffith yells at him and tells him to shut up. Of course, before Philip Griffith yells and says, shut up, Dan Crenshaw cusses at him. So it's kind of like sort of even there. Um, I don't know. I got to be honest. I don't see it. I mean, I'm no defender of the airlines, especially United. In fact, I don't think anyone in media attacks airlines more than I do recently. So I'm not predisposed to be on their side about anything. And I'm not exactly on their side here, but my main take is like, who cares? First of all, he calls the gate agent unhinged and crazed. And at another point, he says that she he, she violently grabbed his dog. I mean, that is at, at best a very overdramatic way of describing what's on the video. Okay, that's like, you're being a drama queen. Calm down. Unhinged and crazed. Come on. I mean, if you heard that description without seeing the video, you'd expect something quite a bit more egregious than what you see in the video, right? You hear someone say, unhinged and crazed woman grabbed my dog. You'd expect like the woman is screaming and screeching and her head's turning around 360 degrees like the exorcist and I don't know, she's climbing up walls or something. Um, at least you'd expect something more aggressive than what's in the video. Because what, what's there is, it's like maybe inappropriate, a little bit over the line, but does it really warrant a United States congressman turning this into a national scandal? Does it warrant a 10-minute video breakdown by a congressman because of that? Is it really something that any of the rest of us should give a damn about? And by the way, normal people have um, really uh, unfortunate experiences in airports all the time that are, that are quite a bit more egregious than anything in that video. And the thing is that normal people, they don't, they're not going to be able to meet with the VP of operations in like a sit-down in-person meeting. They're not going to be able to do that. They're just screwed. 
And I don't think Dan Crenshaw's never done a 10-minute video about any about any of that. So it's, it's when his own family's inconvenience is suddenly he cares. Um, and it, it kind of surprises me that so many people, if you look at the comments, are on his side and not pointing this out. Like, really? Do you not see this as a guy who... He, he's just, he was personally annoyed by this, and so he's turning it into... So you're, you're a congressman. There's, there's a certain expectation we have for you that you're not going to get hung up on stuff like this. Um, and, you know, you have something like this. You, you, to, to turn it into a public affair as a, as a congressman, to take something that personally inconvenienced or upset you and to make it a public affair, you have, that, that has to meet a certain bar. Where this, where this is actually relevant to the public. So you have to say to yourself, okay, all of my constituents, all of the people, the Americans that are out there and that are suffering and that have experienced horrible things, um, should they care about this? As a congressman, that's what you have to ask yourself before you share anything publicly about that you experienced. It's like all those people, should they care about this thing that happened to me? And, and if I was in Dan Crenshaw's shoes, I would say absolutely not. They should not care about this. Okay, that's why I, I've had plenty of uh, of unpleasant interactions at airports, and I've never gone and even thought to go and get the video of it, and and play it and 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 post it. Um, which is something that I wouldn't be able to do, just like I wouldn't be able to go meet with the VP of operations, and also uh, and, and, and any any other non politician would not be able to do that. So. It's hard for me to see this as anything but a politician caring about himself and his own affairs, which is fine. But then, um, you know, trying to turn it into a public spectacle for his own benefit in a way that will not benefit anybody else. Are you struggling with back taxes? Do you have unfiled returns this year? The IRS is escalating collections by adding 20,000 new agents during these challenging times. Your best defense is to use Tax Network USA. With over 14 years of experience, Tax Network USA has saved their clients over a billion dollars in back taxes. They specialize in negotiating with the IRS and aim to reduce your debt significantly. Tax Network USA doesn't just negotiate. They protect your assets from IRS seizures and manage your yearly returns for ongoing compliance. Importantly, they're licensed to help with all state tax issues regardless of where you live in the U.S., Seize control of your financial future now and don't let tax issues overpower you. Contact Tax Network USA for immediate relief and expert guidance. Call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash Walsh. Turn to Tax Network USA and find your path to financial peace of mind. That's tnusa.com slash Walsh. Well, this is a no-brainer. If you want to protect your kids from the leftist indoctrination that's rampant in the mainstream media, this is how you do it. Start a 14-day free trial to Bendkey the new kids entertainment app from The Daily Wire. BenKey is the only streaming app that offers high-quality, family-friendly shows that reflect your values. BenKey features amazing characters and timeless stories that will spark your kids' imagination and curiosity with hundreds of episodes that your kids will love and you can trust, with new episodes streaming every Saturday morning. Remember Saturday morning cartoons? Well, they're back and they're better than ever. But don't take my word for it. See for yourself. You can try BenKey for free for 14 days. No catch, no gimmick, no hidden fees, just awesome content that your kids will love and you can trust. All you gotta do is use code UNLOCK at BenKey.com and you'll get 14 days of unlimited access to BenKey's World of Adventure. Go to BenKey.com and use code UNLOCK at sign up to start your trial today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation.
I actually had other plans for the daily cancellation today, uh, better plans you might even say, but then I saw this clip of Nikki Haley all over Twitter, and yes, I will keep calling it Twitter until the day I die, just like the football team in Washington will always be the Redskins. The clip is from an interview Haley recently did with NBC News where she was asked about some of her recent comments about race, which the media has construed as racist. And this really shows you already how meaningless the racism charge is from the media. Like if they can even make Nikki Haley into a far-right Nazi racist, then they can do it to anyone. And in this case, the NBC reporters were very concerned that Haley had, in recent days, tried to earn an acquittal on the racism charges by pointing out that she has black friends. And NBC informs her, informs her that using the I have black friends excuse is a trope which is itself racist. Now, I've said before that the only problem with using the I have black friends uh, excuse as a defense against racism is that you are defending yourself against a racism accusation in the first place. To defend yourself in the first place is to already lose. The minute you grovel to these people and try to prove your anti-racism credentials, they own you. That's why the only appropriate response when someone on the left calls you racist is to look them in the eyes and say, I don't care that you think that of me. You aren't agreeing that you're racist because you aren't, but you also aren't collapsing on the ground and begging for their pardon and forgiveness. Instead, you're letting them know that they, their opinion of you and the labels they put on you mean nothing to you and they have no power over you. Now, all that said, even if you shouldn't be allowing yourself to be put on the defense in the first place, it's also the case that, objectively speaking, I have black friends is a great defense against a racism accusation. Somebody who has black, uh, black friends is almost certainly not racist against black people. In fact, friendship with another human being entails by definition that you do not think that they are inferior to you based on race or any other factor outside of their control. Because if you do think that, then they're not your friend. So if someone has black friends, they aren't racist against black people. Like, they, that's a pretty good indication. The idea, the idea that this is somehow an illegitimate defense or somehow irrelevant to the racism question entirely is totally absurd, which is something that Nikki Haley could have pointed out in this exchange, but instead she went this route. We were the only Indian family in our small southern town. I was teased every day for being brown. So anyone that wants to question it can go back and look at what I've said on how hard it was to grow up in the deep south as a brown girl. Anybody can look at my record and see when Walter Scott was shot down by a dirty cop, how I made sure that the Walter Scott family didn't suffer because we put the first body camera bill in the country in place. Anybody can look at the fact that when we had nine amazing souls die in Mother Emanuel Church, I did something that no Republican or Democrat ever wanted to touch which was call for the Confederate flag to come down because it would take two-thirds of the House and Senate and was an impossible feat. I don't know what you're implying with that, but what I will tell you is saying that I had black friends is a source of pride. Saying that I had white friends is a source of pride. If you want to know what it was like growing up, I was disqualified from a beauty pageant because I wasn't white or black because they didn't know where to put me. Okay, let's just uh, slow down here and take this one at a time. First of all, just to address the elephant in the room here, Nikki Haley is not really brown, or at least if she is brown, she's a very light shade of it. But technically, we're all shades of brown from a color spectrum perspective. I've never seen a literal white person. Like, there are no people with skin pigment the same shade as a sheet of computer paper. So 
if Nikki Haley's brown, she's only brown in the sense that any white person is brown. I'm not doubting that um, Haley's family is really from India. They are. But the point is that if she doesn't tell you she's brown, you would never know. In fact, like most people, I didn't find out until this election cycle that Haley is Indian. And when I found out, like most people, I said, what? Nikki Haley isn't white? And I had to go check Wikipedia. And sure enough, like, oh, she's from, her family's from India. Like, I had no idea. All that to say her stories of anti-Brown persecution strain credulity from the start. And what are the stories? Well, she says that she was disqualified from a beauty pageant for being brown. We're supposed to believe that way, way back in the ancient times of the 1980s, South Carolina's beauty pageant circuit had never encountered anyone who hailed from Asia or anywhere in the Middle East or anywhere in South or Central America. So they saw Nikki's slightly brownish skin and their minds were blown. They didn't know what to do. Like they, they, they looked at her and they said, wait a minute, I've heard of black people, I've heard of white people, but what is this? They make people in this color? I, what, what do we do here? They, like, they you know, hit a button, set off an alarm. It was a total panic, it was pandemonium. This is what the beauty pageant official apparently said to Nikki sometime in the early 1980s. Um, I must confess that I find that somewhat difficult to believe. Uh, in fact, it sounds very similar to the, to the single woman who informs you that men aren't interested in her because they are intimidated by her staggering beauty. It sounds like the most desperate cope of all time. I mean, there are, after all, other more obvious reasons why men may not be interested in you, just as there are other more obvious reasons why you might have been disqualified from a beauty pageant. But I guess we'll never know. I mean, it is possible that beauty pageants in South Carolina 40 years ago had a policy that only people from Africa, Europe, or North America were allowed to participate. It's possible that black and white people were teaming up together to discriminate against Asians. Um, that's a team we don't see very often. Like those are that's that's a that's a, that's a uh, you know an assortment a team we don't see very often. Um, and uh, I wasn't there. I can't say for sure. What I can say for sure, though, is that there is simply no way Nikki Haley was teased every day for being brown, as she claims. I've never heard anyone being teased for being brown ever in my entire life. Um, I'm sure it's happened at various points in American history, but the claim that she, as someone who barely even qualifies as brown, was teased on a daily basis her entire childhood because of her brownness is just impossible to believe. If it was true, I would say it's not the worst thing in the world. Like every kid is going to be teased for something. And if they choose your maybe very slightly darker skin tone as the subject of ridicule, that's not too terrible, all things considered. I mean, it's better than being called ugly or fat or a loser or whatever. Every kid gets picked on by someone for something. It's an unfortunate reality of growing up, especially in the school system. Uh, and, and none of it should be happening. Like No one should be getting teased because they have brown skin, if that's even happening. I don't even know, I don't even know what that would sound like. But... Um, uh, of all the things you could be teased for, I'm not sure why that would be any worse than, than any of the other, other horrible things that kids are said and say to each other. Um, but that's assuming that this really happened, which it probably didn't, at least not at the rate and frequency Nikki is claiming here. But whether it happened or not, or however often it did happen, if it happened at all, none of that matters. First of all, if you are a grown adult trying to gain sympathy based on what your elementary school peers said to you, no matter what they said to you, no matter how rude they were, then you are pathetic. It is just not acceptable to be a 50-year-old adult trying to earn pity points from what some alleged schoolyard bully teased you about 40 years ago. 
And the only time it's okay for an adult to bring up the grade school bullying they suffered is if they're talking to a child and trying to encourage a child by saying, you know, I went through it, I, I turned out fine, you'll be okay. Like in that context, you'll be excused for dredging up those memories, but to bring it up to other adults in an on-camera interview, no less, in a desperate attempt to make yourself seem sympathetic is just embarrassing on every possible level. And it's all for nothing in the end anyway, because you cannot play the victim game against the left and win. This is their game. They own it. They own the stadium. They run the league. They're paying the refs. It's like trying to beat the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. The whole thing is rigged. You can't win. You aren't allowed to. I'm the biggest victim, so I'm right, is a move the left invented. You can't use it against them. Why can't you use it against them? Because they, they could just say, oh, that doesn't count when you do it. What do you mean it doesn't count when I do it? Well, we, this, is our, this is our game. We made it up. It's like, have you ever tried to play a game with like a child that a child has invented? Have you ever, I, with my kids, like, oh, play this game, daddy. We made, what's the game? We made it up. And then, and I quickly discovered that whatever we're doing in this game, all the rules are designed just to make sure that somehow they win and I don't win. And this is exactly how it works on the left. So you can't win. And why would you want to? Have some self-respect. Have some dignity. Be a grown-up. If they try to lead you into a conversation like this, just look at them and say, you don't really think I'm racist. This is just a game you're playing. But even if you do think it, I don't care. I'm not here to justify myself to you. Now ask me about something that actually matters or this conversation is over. That's all you have to say. Can you imagine if Nikki Haley had said that? Even I would have to, I I would do 15 minutes praising her just for that alone. It would be that simple. But Republicans like Nikki Haley are just not capable of it, which is why she is today, once again, and forever, canceled. That'll do it for the show today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.